Ross Stevenson as our guest today. Ross is a seasoned learning and performance strategist helping to build world-class learning functions for global organizations. His expertise lies in designing digital-first learning content strategies, fusing marketing techniques with learning principles, and crafting top-notch digital content tools. You've probably seen his newsletter, Steal These Thoughts. Welcome, Ross. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for the intro. Very nice. Maybe I should put that in a, a future book. <laughs> Sounds good. We could edit that down and send that on over. In short, I've learned a, a ton from you and, and really appreciate the work that I've, I've been watching over the past year or so. But I think your your newsletter and everything else, I'm pretty sure it didn't start all at once. So can you give us a bit of a story about how you got to here? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. How did it all begin? What is life? Who am I? Many existential questions that I probably <laughs> grapple with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I mean, in terms of the kind of... Um, very specific in terms of the kind of still these thoughts journey and how it all started was so i've been in hr or people whatever we kind of call that term nowadays for about 16 17 years um like most people i fell into it i didn't choose that path it was kind of like someone said oh you can come and do this thing i'll be quite interested and did that and then specifically for nd about 12 years ago i kind of got into nd um for a really great individual who kind of saw some skills that I had and could apply it in this world. Um, and to be quite honest, I also got into L&D because I hated training. I hated <laughs> corporate training. I really hated being a recipient of it. And at that point in my youthful kind of time, I was like, I could work in the team and not have to ever do any corporate training because I would be the person as part of that team kind of delivering it or doing it. So that was my master plan at that point was, I'm going to escape this hell by joining the people dishing out the hell to avoid it um obviously it didn't end up that way eventually but that was the kind of initial concept of it um but anyway what happened was i was in a kind of big enterprise organization and i had a really great opportunity to be part of kind of at this point it's like 10 years ago now um the kind of first wave of their let's call it digital learning strategy and what they were doing and i kind of found myself in this position where um like most humans because of biologic program that way i've always loved learning and doing loads of different stuff um, but i've always been a writer so even since i was young my education is all kind of around writing and, and stuff and that and i kind of just saw an opportunity where some of the work that we were doing where i was based at the moment in time a lot of other companies were finding it quite interesting and i didn't really have the time to amplify one-on-one -on -one conversations with everyone so i was like well, why don't i just write some stuff and you know put it on linkedin this when no one was doing that this is like you know 2014 2015 like no one was writing articles or anything on linkedin so i was just writing stuff on there um and sharing it with people and to be quite honest it was all an experiment there was no game plan as in i'm mm. gonna write this thing and it would get popular and you know all this kind of stuff it was just for the you know as corny as it sounds it was for the love of learning and understanding how do these things work and just to do it and um yeah i didn't expect anyone to read it like i thought i will read it maybe my one mate will read it and that'll be about it pretty much you know just sharing that and um and just doing it but i'm also kind of a person where um i don't believe there's like i don't know any secrets i'm not like harboring mm. any like specific strategies or methodologies that the world can't know unless they pay me you know twenty five hundred dollars to find out about this in my six-part seminar or whatever i'm just i'm quite is in oh this is some things i've tried they work for me i'm not saying it's going to work for you but maybe we can learn from each other and that's really where it came from and and doing that there so that's kind of kind of how i've got to this point with still these thoughts and of course with that my lnd career and that trajectory of kind of very much partnered together and 
um, fed each other. So do not make this about a side hustle can improve your career type conversation, but there has been a lot of benefits of that L&D career. And what was a side hustle, it's kind of my main hustle, has now kind of, they've both gone together and both helped me grow in um, in many different arenas. So yeah, that's kind of how we are here today. That's a poetic uh, you know, it's nice that it's all come together for you like that. I'm curious, you know, you said when you started out, you know, the, 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 the main goal at that point was to amplify Boom. the one-on-one conversations that you were yeah. having at the time. Yeah. And so back when you were getting started, what were some of the, um, the biggest pain points that people were talking about when you were getting started in your digital learning journey and making that switch over from, uh, training and, and, uh, and HR? Yeah. It's funny because I don't actually think it's too dissimilar to what it is now i think a lot of the problems now have just grown um probably to some uncontrollable levels for organizations but at this point i think you know there was always this kind of language around digital learning and social learning it just started to kind of they always do it like every few decades they kind of rear back in and you know people start getting excited about them um, but a lot of organizations were getting really excited around social media uh, which was kind of still in its infancy at that point. If we're looking mm-hmm. at, you know, 2014, 2015, they hadn't all exploded as much as they have now. And they were really looking at how do we do that, but in a corporate environment with a digital learning tool um, and, and make that all work. And I just happened to be in a very, very big organization at that point that had a mm-hmm. load of cash mm-hmm. and was able to kind of go out and, and do lots of different stuff. And a lot of the pain points that people were talking about was the same thing. It, but at this point, it was e-learning. So people are like, oh my God, I got so many e-learning courses or we're running 400 face-to-face courses and no one comes to them. No one's actually Mm -hmm. learning anything. So it's the same kind of problems just in different arenas or different kind of content formats. And at that point as well, a lot of people, very similar to right now with the kind of generative AI revolution or evolution happening, people weren't really sure in how do I move the model from you know, for LND, it's predominantly been following the education model of the kind of schooling system. And how do we now turn that into something which is more fit for a corporate, but also focuses on that digital just-in-time bit? Because maybe this is still true today, but even at that point, you know, mentioning the words digital, talking about learning technology, it was like you were talking about magic. People yeah. were like, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, what kind of sorcery is this you're doing over here? And trying to get people to come to a platform to... um learn and do all this and of course at this point it was still like you know youtube had been around for like 10 years but it it hadn't got as big as it is at this point now and same with twitter and facebook and that so people were aware of that tech they were like oh this is interesting how can we take community-based stuff and bring this into the workplace um so a lot of the conversation at that point was how do we leverage technology you know how do we engage people in this to show that this is a not necessarily a better way to learn but a kind of a a newer more evolved way for the modern employee today and how do L&D people kind of update the practices in the team so I would actually say it's exactly the same as what it is now it's just kind of like um, some of those problems have either continued to snowball or there is just an amplification of those problems in kind of different scenarios but I thought what was quite interesting at that time although it's different now kind of 10 years later is that not so many people were sharing like it's not like now you go on LinkedIn and everyone's like this is how I do my 5 million processes and all the things I'm doing no one was doing that at that point so unless you went to a conference 
and you were part of the kind of gang who'd pay two grand to go and hear someone speak, there wasn't naturally these conversations happening where people were talking about these problems and then other people would pop up who were actually doing really cool stuff, but you were never going to know because that network didn't exist at that point. So, um, yeah, those those were really the, the problems at that point. Hey, can you elaborate a, a bit on that disconnect? Because, it's, you know, I think that's that's something similar that I've seen on, on my end is, is just that disconnect between what L&D is trying to push, mm. you know, what the L&D initiatives are, and then also the, the practical needs or interests of the learners. And so they might go about addressing that and saying, hey, maybe we can use social learning to drive mm. a community of practice and mm-hmm. people can learn from each other or... Mm. Maybe there's a way that we can get people to push our learning materials to other people, but yeah. it's still very much this gap between what L&D is trying to do and like the practical needs and interests of the learners. So why do you think that comes about or why has there always been that disconnect? Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's um, there's kind of like a conformity in terms of what does L&D mean in a corporate organization? And funny enough, I've read a post from Nick Shackley and Jones the other day where he was basically saying, if all you do or what people expect you to do is rain dancing, why would you do anything else? That's going to hit like kind of the goals. Um, And it reminded me of something that I've seen quite a lot in my career where I talk to people about basically um, if they can't get engagement with their stakeholders or they're having issues, like so many people come to me and they say, hey, um, I can't, get my stakeholders to do any of this cool stuff that you're talking about and I basically say well it's really difficult because people have this perception of L&D in the corporate where it is just a school model what people would expect you to do is say right our L&D strategy is we're going to give you x amount of courses on these pillar topics and you know that's that's it that's what you're going to do and actually for the user that is not what they want because we're in this world now where we get what we want when we want and can access all these little bits and create our own experiences but then as an lnd team you're giving a very kind of rigid experience to people which is saying we're just going to push this stuff to you and you're going to do what we tell you to do and you're going to do it how we tell you to do it so i wonder why people switch off because they used to just go on youtube and saying i want to make banana bread today i'm going to go on to youtube and figure out how to make banana bread you know but the problem is that lnd team says yeah, we need to help you become a better leader. Oh, but wait, you're going to have to wait three months until we build this course. And then you go on this course and you can only do this stuff when we tell you to do it. So of course, people are going to be disengaged. Like, why the hell am I going to do this? Well, I can just go on and listen to anyone on you know YouTube or contact people on LinkedIn. Um, and, and that's a big problem. That's a big disconnect because we're still doing that. But the problem with that is that most C-suite teams that I've worked with, that's what they expect L&D to do. And that's how they measure you. So they measure you on... You know, how are you building out your education portfolio? How many courses have you got, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And actually that is quite um, an inhibitor. And yeah. the, the issue with that is it's actually really difficult for L&D teams to break out of that because if 99% of your organization is expecting you to do that thing and you don't do that thing, then it, you know, it, it can become very difficult to actually kind of break out of that and actually do something different there. So uh, you know, a user in themselves is, and we're all users, right? We're all users of different products. We have so much choice nowadays. We have so many uh, ways to create all of the experiences that we want the way we want. So to not have that replicated in a corporate setting, of course you're going to switch off. You're not going to do it. And look, 
I have unfortunately been in the positions where you have to begrudgingly do it because it's like that's what's expected of you and that's yeah. what people want to see. And it's so difficult to get away from that. You can do it, but it's like a multi-year project to actually do that versus, you know, trying to, um, you know, do so, so, so radically different that people are like, well, this is not learning. But again, there's kind of a real deep philosophical conversation, which will probably take years to get through here in terms of what do people class as, you know, learning, you know, you know mm -hmm. what is it exactly? Because of course there is this whole dichotomy of the classroom, I think for me still very much feels like king in mm -hmm. the corporate setting today. Um, and of course it's, you know, we know it's not right. We can go on our phone in five minutes and do whatever we want, whenever we want. So I think that's the big disconnection is that a lot of people like to talk about human centered design or, you know, user design, but I think, you know, very few people are actually able to deploy it in a corporate setting because there are so many constraints. But I think that's the same for a lot of the methodologies and frameworks we talk about. They're always great in theory, but actually when you get to the ground level and you're having to deal with senior stakeholders, C-suite teams, it's really hard to deploy that in the way that you really want to. I'm not saying you can't do it or you can't be a bit sneaky and do some stuff to develop an experience, but to do it in its purest forms is incredibly difficult. So look, I think that's why we have this big disengagement because um, we're just not fulfilling you know, those adaptable needs or experiences of those users. This is something you just touched on that I think is a is a, a huge problem and always has been when thinking about the classroom model is mm, mm. Uh, the uh, applying the classroom model to learning at work is that idea of measurement where you know a lot of the measurement that we do is on maybe knowledge you know knowledge new knowledge retention mm. uh, or you know pushing out new concepts and information to people but what does actual learning at work look like it looks like new behaviors in business something that you can observe something that has business impact. But um, I don't know anybody who is doing the actual measurement of learning, meaning new behaviors at work or, or right. um, uh, instruction leading to business impact. I'm wondering if you have any examples of uh, someone who's doing it well, um, whether that's someone you've worked with or, or you know, someone that a, a case study that you go back to. Are there any examples of, of anybody who's pushing beyond just? pushing out courses than really thinking about learning holistically or um, more at a business level rather than just trying to push out information to employees. In terms of how they're measuring the impact? In terms of, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, well, I mean, let, I mean uh, you know, that's a, that's a good point to, to, to parse apart. I, I think it's, you know, if there's the, if you have both, that's great, but yeah. you know, either on the instruction side and how they, you know, how they're focusing on, on really targeting just in time learning. Or if it's um, more on an organizational level and how they approach uh, measure the measurement of, of the impact of L&D initiatives. Yeah, so let me tackle the second one first. And then, um, sure. So in terms of the measuring the impact, it's so difficult like to actually measure what people have learned and how they've applied it. Um, unless you're Google and you've got a huge analytics team and you've got money to burn. It is so difficult. And I hate saying that because... The, the, the reality of it is you can't do it. You can't really do it unless you've got those resources to do it. It is possible. Like anything is possible. It's possible to track it. But what you're talking about is having to build kind of measurement funnels over six to 12 months. So from when people have experiences and you're using data points like 
performance reviews or feedback scores or live projects. But if you were to track that for groups of people, I mean, this is so, so difficult to do to get to the true fact of, okay, we spend X amount on these individuals at this point of the year. Have they improved by this point of the year? And what has been the result of that improvement? It could 100% be done. But most L&D teams are so lean, they just haven't got the capability to do that. So what happens instead, and I totally understand it, even though it's complete vanity metrics, is they move to the engagement scores, which is more around, you know, we all know these classic ones, how many people access the LMS, how many times they look at a resource, you know, how many people went to this course, because they are easily tangible points of data that can be pulled out in 10 minutes and they can be sent to a C-suite team but in reality, they mean nothing, really, mm-hmm. because, you know, we can all go to, you know, I listen to, I don't know how many podcasts every year. It doesn't necessarily mean that I've learned something from every single one and I've been able to apply it and do that to a level. So a lot of people fall into that trap, but you don't really have many options. It's either you go there or you go the other route, but the other route requires you to probably be in the top 10 of organizations in the fortune 500 and having loads of money to be able to do that so and i think it's the fact that people know how to do these things and they want to do them they're just incredibly constrained um to have the resources to do it but again you could do part of that process as well so you know, if you had the ability to you know look at performance reviews or manager feedback scores and link that into experiences that are, you know people are having and you know personal development plans as well are also a big part of that too so being able to measure people's skills there if you were to do it with a specific cohort of people you can most certainly do that and it's achievable in terms of people who are doing that well i would love to say that i know lots of people who are doing that unfortunately i don't um but i think most people would say that right and i think it's for the same reasons because you have to put kind of context and constraints into that it's not necessarily that like i say people don't want to do it or they're not trying to do it it's just that with the ever-growing field of you know what is lnd in a corporate organization there really unfortunately isn't the time to do that data point i'm always dubious when i see you know case studies that come onto linkedin because a lot of them you know 9.5 times out of 10 are purely engagement metrics someone will say you know this many people visited my lms in one month and you know they looked at this many resources but again it doesn't it doesn't mean anything like it's great but what I'm more interested in, you know, what would that user adoption be three years out? I don't really care what it is for two or three months or when, um, you know, I won't name any vendors, but when vendors come out and they put out kind of client case studies where it's like, we had this massive launch and, you know, 800 people came on. That's cool. But that's just one week. What about what happens the rest of the time? What happens the return exactly. on the investment? So, but I'd say it's all about context and constraints. So in answer to your question, um, it can be done. It is difficult to do it. But, you know, you, I haven't seen anything amazing yet. I'm sure there's some geeky team sure. somewhere that's going to come out now and say, we're doing this and it's amazing. This is how we're doing it. So I would um, I would love to see that. Something that I do want to pull out of what you said is, you know, a, a lot of the, the, um, the complexity comes from defining what those actual performance metrics are in the first mm. place mm. you know if you're gonna if you're gonna measure impact you know six to 12 months later mm. are those performance metrics clearly defined and and who made them and then to your other point about um uh lmd teams often running lean and not having the time having to spend more time on content development i i, mm. I think mm. that that's very true but also 
you know, something that they can do is uh, to measure learning effectively over time is just following up with cohorts of people. And mm. cause if you don't have those performance metrics and it's not something you can observe, you could at least follow the story of people over time. Is, is that you can. Yeah, you can 100%. Look, there's a very um, simple framework that I use. I'll, I'll share it now because you can see I've put it, I'm sure I've put it on LinkedIn somewhere as well. Um, which if you can't do anything else, it's basically just do this. And I just call it the bar framework. And it's also something that they use in the world of search engine optimization too, to kind of look at how, you know, websites are ranking and performing and basically what it is. So when you have a cohort of people that you want to track, you can basically say the bar means before, after and recommend. So before people go through an experience, let's say you've got a group of leaders and you want to measure what is their confidence level in the key skills they need today and their capability level. And of course there's two roads to this. So this one is a self-assessment from them and there's an assessment from their superior as well. And then what you're able to do is before that event is measure the confidence and measure the capability. And then what you do is after the experience they have, whether that is a one-time thing or whether that is a, you know, it might be a three month blended experience of, you know, in-person events, might be reading digital resources, a whole experience you've created. After that, you then say to them the same set of questions. What is your confidence today? What is your capability today after spending, you know, three, six months doing this stuff? And you get the same, again, the same set of data from them as a self-assessment and from their manager. So you can compare those two data sets. And then the final bit of recommendation is more around looking at after doing all of this and those individuals reflecting, you know, A, is it useful? And B, would they recommend it? And the reason why I look at the recommend recommendation piece is because just because you built something doesn't mean it always works. So if you get 40 people going through this thing and you get a bunch of them saying, you know what, I did it for three months and you know I wouldn't recommend it for these reasons, then you need to know. Because what I find is most often is that companies will buy off the shelf stuff or they'll build something and they'll just keep doing it. They'll just keep pushing it out and they don't really look on the data to say, you know, was it actually effective? Would someone recommend this to someone else? Like you wouldn't buy a product, right? And you wouldn't go to a website Unless a friend says, oh, this is really good. You know, this product here is amazing or this book is amazing. You know, that power of social proof is fantastic. And I know we'll talk about engagement at some point in this, but that's another engagement level where it's like, if you have built this really great experience and you can measure that confidence and capability, get people to talk about it. So there's two parts in there of, at a base level, you can get some pretty good data from that to say, you know, before we did this thing, this is where confidence and capability was. After they went through this experience and we've spent, you know, X amount of money and done all this stuff, this is where they are now. And then you can start to also ask if you want to get deeper into this in examples of where they've deployed some of that in the live environment and attach that to the data as well. And then the final bit is really, like I say, it's, it's the social proof, but it's also the validation of the work that you've done as an LND designer is, are they going to recommend it? Is it good enough for them to turn around to another person in their position and say, this thing was shit hot, you should definitely do it, it is going to improve who you are. And if you get that marker, then, you know, fantastic. And I think, look, honestly, you would do pretty damn good with just measuring those three things and then being able to present that back to a C-suite team or any team. And that's going to do, in my opinion, a great deal more than just measuring how many people come to visit your platforms. To me, that's... Um, 
that's one of the the possible solutions to that social piece that we miss often in L and D, where you know if we're talking about L and D being a lot of push on employees, mm-hmm. or um, I think a, a symptom of that is you know just L and D knows better; it knows what you need as an employee, and therefore mm-hmm. we're just gonna um, uh, we're just gonna top down push that onto you. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. you know often from another employee, you're like, hey, you're on my team, you're struggling with this problem. What is that tool you use? Or what is that framework you just mm-hmm. did there? Or what did you just do on your computer? Oh, I'm going to start doing that too. It's often that like lateral recommendation or um, just more more the, the social piece of, of learning that I think is missing. So I really like the R in that framework. And um, because you mentioned it, yes, I want to get to engagement because <laughs> Uh, you know, while we're in this area of, you know, social learning and kind of the communities of practice and mm. um, that, that social part of L&D, you know, I think one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest trends that I see right now is, is this idea of marketing and learning mm. uh, or using marketing techniques and learning. And I think that's a big rabbit hole that we can go down. But what I want to focus specifically on is this idea of an engagement plan, mm. because I think that's what's missing from a lot of L&D folk and it's crucial mm-hmm. I, I think it's crucial to the success of any learning initiative so mm-hmm. what are you know I, I guess can you can you back this up for us can you mm-hmm. uh, tell us you know what is an engagement plan and let's start off with why that's important for L&D teams yeah definitely so an engagement plan is basically what it says in the team it's how once you've built all of these beautiful products or solutions that you've put together how are you going to connect that to the user and this goes far beyond I'm just going to send out an email that says, we've created this new thing, please use it and click on this link here. So it's actually looking at how do we continue to embed and sustain whatever that is over the long term. And, you know, the long term could be anything. It can be three months, six months, 12 months. Usually, you know, a lot of work that I do with organizations is how do we look at this as a multi-year engagement piece? Because if you're investing millions of pounds in a piece of learning technology, you're not just going to use it as a six-week wonder and then hope people come to it. So you really need to have that overall engagement piece of how do I keep this top of mind for individuals? How do I continue to show them the relevance and you know why it's going to improve them? I think I've kind of covered a little bit in terms of you know why it is important, especially for a corporate setting, is because you're investing you know your blood, sweat, and tears and soul into doing these things, and you might spend months or years you know a green deal was bringing bits in and i just see it too often when i go to you know work with a company as a kind of consultant and they'll say to me you know we bought x y and z tool no one uses it like it was like two weeks people were using it and then no one's doing anything after that and 100 percent of the time it's because no one had an engagement strategy throughout the whole process of technology acquisition or building a solution not one person sat there and said cool, we've built this thing. Now, how do we actually demonstrate the benefits to the user? And how do we continue to do that long term? Because you know how it works in marketing. You have to say, you know, one thing a thousand times, a thousand different ways over a multi-year bit. And that is the the biggest missing bit. But it's not unique to L&D, I would say. Like engagement, you need to do it for anything. You know, engagement is, or I'd say marketing is life all the time because we're always marketing stuff. You know, we market our skills to an employer. You know, we market our um, ourselves to a crush that we want to go on a date with. Like we, we, we're marketing all the time. We just don't see it in that world where it's like, I think sometimes 
I work with a lot of teams who are like, well, I've built this amazing product, so people should just use it. It's like, well, you might think that's amazing, but you're one person in a team who's built it and you're you're biased, you're close to it. And I've been that person as well. Like you're biased in, God, this is so amazing. Like this is going to change the world. But you need to let other people know that. And you have to move the conversation from company or me to we, because we've all been in companies where they launch systems. No one gives a shit really. Like they get them every other day that they come through. But you have to have that ability to say, right, I've got a really clear engagement plan or strategy, whatever you want to call that there, that says, these are the things that I'm going to do during the course of the next year that are going to really showcase the benefits of this to the user and help this piece of technology thrive. I say engagement plan is what it says on the tin. You know, you need to have a plan to get people to be using all this stuff that you think is world-class and to bring them on that journey too. Yeah, you, you've covered this, uh, you know, in, in some of what you just described about a um, an engagement plan. But if you're looking to, if you're looking to build, uh, build an engagement plan, mm-hmm. if you can just pick that apart mm-hmm. a bit more. What are kind of the the major milestones, or or kind of what are the key questions that you need to think about to make sure that, you know, I, I don't expect to have a multi year plan by the end of this conversation, but no. what are you know maybe three or the top three or the top five questions you have to consider? Or what are the the major steps that that you need to consider to have a successful engagement plan? What are we solving for? would be the big one immediately. And it surprises me why I don't ask that question um, in many rooms that we're in. So, you know, whatever you're building, what are you solving for? And then leading off of that, you know, why are you solving for this? You know, why is this an issue in the organization? And then getting really specific, you know, who does that help? Who is it for? So who is your audience? And the reason why I stress this is that, you know, there's a thing that I talk about a lot, which is, If you design for everybody, you design for nobody. And it's the same with communications. You have to be really clear on who is that end user. And when you're kind of crafting this and having these conversations, think about that end user in particular. You know, so what are you solving for them? Why are you solving it? You know, who are they? And, you know, what's the benefits for them, really? And by benefits, I don't mean the features of the product and the hundred snazzy things that it does, you know, how does it improve that individual? And I think a big point here is that is transformation. So if an individual engages with this product or solution that you've built, how is it going to transform them? How is it going to make them a better human from where they are today? Um, And again, that's all around this kind of benefit led feature. And some people might call that, you know, the, the what's in it for me, I think that's kind of too low level sometimes. I think you have to really, um, I can't think of a better way to say it, really go for the jugular of be really clear on what are the benefits for the individual. So if you can go out as part of that engagement plan and you can build your assets and have your milestones around talking on, you know, what are we solving for? Why are we trying to solve this? What are we introducing to try and do all these things? And then be really specific on, you know, who is that end user or group of end users. And then, as I say, you know, get really clear cut on what are the benefits for them. You know, ditch the corporate language, you know, don't get lost in translation. Just be really clear on, we've built this thing because of X. It's going to help you do Y. And then you're going to be, you know, the Z part of that. You're going to be better because of this. And it's funny, right? Because 
after listening to this, you'll see this kind of framework everywhere. When people are pitching products to you, when you see stuff online, it's the same framework that's everywhere. It's saying, I've got this great tool. You've got this problem. You want to do this. You're going to be like this. Like the prime example I use all the time is that when it comes to like fitness season, beach body season, and you see like all these things come up that say, you know, 28 days to six pack abs and that's setting a transformation. That's like people look at that and they're like, oh my God, you know, six pack abs, 28 days. Like, you know, that's the benefit immediately. People have got it in their mind and they're going to it. And the company that's doing that is really clear on, you know, what are we solving for? We're solving for people who want a six pack abs, don't have six pack abs and they want it really quickly. Okay. And then they're going moving into, right, who is our audience? Our audience are those people who want to do that really quick. And what they're not doing is they don't come out and say, here's our six pack ab program. It has, you know, 35 different exercises, a hundred different videos, blah, blah, blah. They just come out and say six pack abs, 28 days. And people are like, oh my God, take my money. Like take it now and let me do this. Right. I would, I would almost push them to, to actually go a little bit further. It's like, how will having a six pack of abs make your life, you know, make your life a little bit better. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that there, there's probably some really like sure. cringy ones where it's like, you know, you'll get, you know, great dates or oh. you'll feel superhuman or, you know, yes. those, those things that you see. Axe but... commercials. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's it's stuff like that. But it is is look at those things because those are the techniques and frameworks that are used on us day yes. to day. We just, yes. for whatever reason, we, especially, I think it's very strange. I find it L&D is that it, in some ways people, um, they kind of feel, I've seen, I sense that people feel a bit snobbish in what I shouldn't have to be a marketer. This is yes. not about being a marketer. You are yeah. not a marketer. You know, I am not a marketer. Although people, you know, come to me all the time asking marketing questions. Like I'm not a marketer at heart. Like, but I understand the marketing psychology of how do I position products? How do we build brands? And it's the same framework you see everywhere. It's just that we don't, for whatever reason, this industry, we don't seem to just want to apply it to our field, which is odd because I would definitely say any success I've had in my career has actually been down to understanding marketing psychology. It's got nothing to do with L&D whatsoever. I would actually go as far as saying I'm probably mediocre when it comes to L&D design, but my marketing capability has actually helped me thrust my career and advance my career because of the understanding of you know, how do I do all that? I, that's For me, it's a big missing piece, but as an engagement bit, if you can you know, really hone in on those questions as early as possible. Like I'm talking about before you even start getting into, you know, what does our learning solution look like? How interactive do we make it? And blah, blah, blah. Like if you get really clear on, you know, what are we solving for? Why are we solving for it? Who is this for? And what are the specific benefits for people? That's actually going to influence your design phase anyway. And it's going to influence all the engagement plan. So I, I was going to let you finish, but all these questions that for a successful engagement plan yeah. aren't these questions that you're supposed to be answering during your analysis phase you right? should do you know, these these are the insights so so uh yeah so so is this revisiting those questions with engagement with the engagement plan in mind or is this if you haven't caught them those right. questions you should definitely catch those then or how, how do how do these questions kind of take on a new life when you're thinking specifically about the engagement plan. It's more like, I'd say it's like an evolution. It's like taking a different lens and having the evolution of that. So obviously in the design bit, yeah. you know, as you say, you'd be having that, but then take it one step further and then look at, 
So an example being, if you're serving a particular audience, you know, on the design bit, you know what to do. So then after, not after that, but the evolution of that would be, what are the levers that we can pull in this community to help them engage with this content that we're building? And you can have that as part of that process. Now, I would hope a lot of these conversations have already happened right at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> My experience has been nine times out of 10, they don't. What usually happens is a stakeholder pops up and goes, I've got a training or learning issue. And they would tell the L&D team, I need you to give me X solution. And then the L&D team just goes and builds it or they pull something off. So a lot of times that design bit usually gets skipped over. Not always, but unfortunately with the way it kind of works, that's what happens. But what you can do is most certainly build upon those components to be looking at, you know, an example might be, we're looking at an audience and we're saying they're engineers in technology, software engineers in technology. How do we specifically reach these people? Where do these people hang out? Where are they getting their information in the organization? So you've got that design bit in, you know, how do we specifically design for software engineers? What are the kind of things that we're going to build for them to make sure that, you know, we can really create an experience that's going to help them. And then the next part of the engagement bit is, okay, so where do, where do they hang out? Are they on Slack? Are they on certain channels? You know, what are the things they're doing? How can we reach these people? How do we continue to position the benefits of what we're doing to these individuals? So you should, if you can, and of course, this is all very contextual in your organization, do all of that in one go. Um, mm -hmm. But usually what I find is not everyone has the opportunity to do that. But 100%, you can take those questions and you could use them for everything. You could use yep. them from the whole point of, you know, from the day one of someone engaging you, it's like, do these five questions. And that's what I do. And it's funny, right? Because when I was first in L&D, I found a lot of stakeholders found that frustrating because that's not what they expected. What they expect from an L&D team is to say, oh yes, stakeholder, we're going to go and build this thing for you and not ask you any questions. It's like an Amazon delivery function. It's like, we're ordering this, just do it. Don't ask any questions. Don't do this. Whereas I was always like rocking up with a notebook and going, I have these five questions. Let's talk about that. And the reason why it's really important, I find this because, you know, 80% of the time, and this is crazy to say a little bit, that I've actually found what's answering these questions. What you discover is that the problem that someone thought was an L&D problem is not actually an L&D problem. It's usually some kind of team issue, team friction. It's a cultural problem. But actually, you're only able to get to that because you've gone through those questions. There's all these little things that come up where, you know, you really have to think less of a designer and just you're a designer. And for some people, this will be very strange, maybe instructional designers, but you're more like a consultant. I feel like mm. you're a consultant mm -hmm. um, and a therapist in some ways where you're sitting there and you're asking these questions because you are like, well, you know, what are we solving for? Why are we solving for this? And the beautiful thing is that you have these conversations where these stakeholders haven't asked these questions. So they've not actually sat there reflected and gone, yeah, that's a good question. Why am I trying to solve this? What am I going to get out of this? Because they have these five minute spurts of, oh God, we need to do this because someone told me I need to do this and I need to tick a box for whatever goals and do that. So it is a really great way to have those conversations in engagement, in design, but also cutting through the noise. That to me is a, what you mentioned about the consultative approach. That that to me is the the privilege of being uh, being an LMD, where you get to meet with leaders and you get to find out what yeah. was the actual line of thinking 
that led you to this decision? Why are we, why are you doing this now? Why are we still doing this? And I think, well, all these things that you mentioned about, you know, whether that's the engagement plan or, you know, building a, you know, designing the learning to me, this all goes back to the product life cycle and having a product mindset where mm. if you're developing a product, you're solving a pain point for a customer mm. and everything that you do, whether that's uh, the engagement plan, I think is like your go-to-market strategy where it's just yeah, like, 100%. we have our, yep. this product and we we're solving this problem. Now, how do we inform, how do we engage the person, the, our customer so that we can not just solve their pain point right up front, you know, but also for the rest of their lives and make their lives better for the rest of their lives. And I think it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a, a, a great way to frame kind of how LMD needs to needs to shift its thinking a little bit where um if we're talking about being learner centric i think we can throw mm. learner centric out the window because a learner just has to me it just has too much baggage where yeah. it's like well, what is the learner what does it mean in this context and more so thinking about your learners like customers and kind of building a little mm. bit more distance between you and learning and, and thinking more about serving customers and the problems that 100%. they have 100 them is, is yeah. just a easier way to think for me to think about this stuff yeah i, I would agree with you i don't um it's funny right when people say learners it's like saying we're breathers right we're biologically <laughs> programmed to learn every day so i'm the same as you the reason why i use the word users and i love your framing of customers is because that's what it is like yeah. they are your internal customers and it's it really is no different on that the slight variances are obviously in the lnd space you are not always kind of selling so um, you have the mm. capability in your engagement plans. I kind of put these into three buckets where you could have an engagement plan that is basically going to educate people. So it's educate them on something specifically. That might be your engagement plan. Another engagement plan could be, I want to empower someone. So I want to empower someone with particular knowledge or particular skills for them to do something, or I want to inspire someone to mm. do something. So your engagement strategy, of course, flexes on what you're trying to achieve are specific part of the conversation here has been around launching products but you could take that same framework and look at it for inspiring people to make behavioral changes you could yeah. be using that same strategy to educate people on particular human skills or technical skills what really counts is that kind of once you understand how to build your toolbox you can then deploy that in different ways to influence kind of um human behavior and you know there's loads of information out there on neuroscience and how we think and why we engage with content um and i would you know i would encourage people to explore some of that to a base level because like i am not i would not say i am proficient in this but i've had the opportunity to go to a couple of conferences in neuroscientists specific about learning and it's blown my mind on understanding you know why do we engage with stuff what are the feelings and the emotional drivers behind why we do that um, you know, and you probably see where you work as well. It's no different in selling products, in selling services. It's the same psychology. So, yeah, it's once you get that toolkit, it's like I'm kind of talking about like it's the second coming of price or something at the moment. But you know what I mean? It, it, it to me, it really does feel like it was such an unlock for me in terms yeah. of like, it's like, oh my god, like why have I not been doing this? And then you see it everywhere. It's like Neo in the Matrix. You see the yeah. code everywhere. Once someone says it to you, you cannot not see it like it's like oh my god they're doing that to me oh they're doing that over there but yeah. you, you then kind of join that club and you're like oh okay this obviously works and you see it works so many times elsewhere that eventually you get to the point where you know what i'm getting into it like i'm going to jump into that right now and i'm going to use it so 
I cannot encourage enough to, you know, just explore it. You do, yeah, no one has to be a marker. You, you're in NND, you're doing NND stuff. Awesome. But don't limit your capability and your skills because they are useful skills in any area of life. Beautiful. I, I'm going to end it there. I mean, I think that's a great place great place for us to end. You know, if, if people want to hear more of your wisdom, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, I only hang out on LinkedIn. I have no other social media. I try and keep myself sane. So LinkedIn is my only point. Um, I'm sure you'll link it. I think it's Ross Stevenson UK. I honestly have no idea. Um, and then you could get all of my work. If So all this stuff that we're talking about um, is all free. So you can go to stillthesethoughts.com. There's all templates and tools and stuff for LND pros on there. So um, please take it and use it. Let me know if you build upon it. Let me know how you use it as well. I'm always excited to see people do more and take it to the next level. Um, and yeah, that's how you can uh, get in touch. All right. Well, in that case, thank you so much for coming on Video Learning Lab to chat today. It was such a pleasure to have you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a good day.